The scripture for today's sermon comes from Mark 8, 34 through 9-1. And the word of God speaks to us like this. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is the very word of God to us. Hello, everybody. How are you guys? Good. Uh, My name is Charlie Hall. I know a lot of you, but I don't know everybody. And uh, some of you that don't know me, I know you, and that sounds weird. But uh, hey, I'm super glad to get to be back with you guys. Uh, After 30 years of ministry, this last summer, I got to take a a good deep breath and have a break, a sabbatical. And uh, it marked 30 years of ministry. It marked my 30-year high school reunion. I had that this summer. I know you're like, that guy doesn't look that old. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, but I had my 30-year high school reunion, which was similar to going to the state fair, if you've been there recently. And, uh, and I'm the guy running the tilt-a-whirl, so that was good. Um, had an amazing rest with my family, uh, with my wife. My wife and I celebrated five years of marriage. We have four kids from 13 uh, to 22. I know you're doing the math going, this doesn't make sense. Uh, We're a blended family, and we've made it five years, and we love each other. Our kids are getting older. It's really beautiful. Um, We, uh, I got to give one of my daughters away in in marriage, uh, not just (laughs) give her away. Maybe throw that picture up there so I can make more sense. Yeah, it's kind of blurry, but... uh, um, got to give her away just, just last Saturday. So I'm, I'm coming off of that and uh, uh, enjoying being back at work and doing ministry. One of the things about sabbatical, it sounds super romantic. A lot of you guys are like, well, I'd like a sabbatical, and I think everybody should have one eventually. Uh, but you also have to face yourself in some really peculiar ways. Like when, when you disappear from, from this place and from uh, methodically giving my life away to people, um, and then all of a sudden kind of pulling back after about a month of like fun bike rides with my friends in the mountains and things like that, a trip with my family, uh, you start to look at yourself and face yourself in some scarier ways. And one of the things that came up in my heart is like, Jesus, I really like, I've, I've walked with you now for 30 years and I want to follow you to the end and I'm a little scared. There's a fear inside of me. Can I make it to the end? What does it take to make it? to the end. And I just kept reminding myself of Jesus' face, Jesus' call, Jesus' promises, the things that are in the scriptures, the things that warmed my heart toward him in the beginning when I felt my heart come to life. And so this morning, I just want to welcome us all to the presence of God. I want to welcome us all to a God that keeps embracing us no matter what our journeys are. Some of you in here may have made it 24 hours of sobriety and you made it into this room. I just want to just celebrate you. You're here. I want you to hear the words of Jesus. Some of you older saints have walked with God for 40, 50 years and you're here and you're grizzled, but you love Jesus. 
And I want to welcome us all to the presence of God. And let me pray. I mean, you guys please pray for me as well. Jesus, we, we love you and we want to keep loving you. We want to keep following after you. And we know that our lives are mixed bags and our stories are hard and this moment in the world is hard and there's dark places in our heart there's dark places in the world but Jesus we want to say we want to follow you for all of our lives and help us meet us in this moment Jesus we love you and all the people said really big amen that's medium but I'll take it Uh, one of the ways that I learned to read the scripture years ago uh, especially the gospels was to with kind of holy imagination, put myself inside the gospel stories and to experience experience them in a a new way. And so as I've been trying to do that with Mark, uh, I wanna invite you guys just for a second, I'm gonna take you through just a quick thumbnail journey of the book of Mark so far, and I want you to kind of put yourself in the crowd. And I want you to follow Jesus through a few things that we've seen him do. You're in the crowd and you see this this man get baptized. And after this baptism, you're in a different crowd, but you, you watch him cleanse a leper. You see him move toward a man and touch a man that no one else will touch, and you're intrigued by this. It's, it's kind of outside of every norm that you've ever seen. You watch him heal a, a paralytic, and you can't believe that there's that kind of power that could take place in a human body that's been so broken and mangled and you're intrigued, something is breaking into the world that you haven't seen yet. You listen to him speak to crowds and when he speaks, you're amazed. You've never heard anything like it in your life. You feel something start to burn in your heart because there's something so different and set apart about this man, Jesus, that seems to be so full of power. You watch him from a distance. You happen to be on a shore one night when it's storming terribly and you're watching this boat flail about, barely making it, and you watch him get to the deck and calm the storm down. You see this man, Jesus, cast out demons that have been tormenting bodies for ages. We don't know how long. You've seen him raise the dead. You've seen him feed a couple of crowds of thousands of people when there was no food but just a couple of pieces of bread and a couple of feet pieces of fish and you watch him break those things and multiply them and feed whole crowds because he has compassion on them because they're in the middle of nowhere, nothing to eat. And you're like, something is happening through this man and in this man. And one of the things that you love to watch is when he confronts the religious professional guys. You think it's so funny and so cool, or maybe that was just me. He confronts these men and you see these men for the first time start to back down a little bit and not put so many rules down and you watch him speak with authority and with life and things around him start to change. You watch the way he is with people and it's beautiful. He slows way down to stop and pause and look and see. And you're in this crowd and you're watching all these things and then you see him pull his disciples aside and he's talking with them. And what he's saying is, guys, pretty soon I'm gonna have to die, but I will be raised back to life. And he turns back to the crowd and he says, okay, now you guys come here. And the crowd and you and me, we start to push forward toward Jesus. This this man, there's something breaking into the world through him his disciples, his friends, we move closer because we're like, he's gonna say something beautiful again. 
something powerful again. And when he calls us closer, this is what we hear him say. If anyone would, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now some of you church people, like me, we've heard that for a long time. And we kind of start to see it as like a, just a, yeah, yeah, of course, we follow Jesus, you know, and it's hard. We deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and of course, that's what we do. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you've answered that call at some point in your life, I just want to remind you, it's, it's still out there. It's a beautiful call. It's really difficult. It's a fork in the road. But he says with, with a lot of kindness and a lot of compassion, he says, guys, come after me. And it's crazy because in a day where people try to build their crowds, their audiences, Jesus is thinning it out. He's built his crowd and now it's time for him to say something really difficult. Create a fork in the road. Come after me. Come after me. Remember his voice. At some point, it reverberated in your chest. You heard him say, come after me. It was no longer like, I just go to the church because my parents go there. Or if you're like my wife, she, she, had a, she has a crazy story. God snatched her out of such pain and turmoil and insanities and chaos. At some point, it wasn't even a church thing for her. God just spoke into her, come after me. And that's beautiful all by itself, but it starts to get a little bit harder when, when he says, but to do this, you're gonna have to deny yourself. What does that even mean? You're gonna have to yield all the places that kick and scream and rebel against me and come after me. All of your comfort, all of your desire for the American dream, all your desire to be wealthy, all of your desire to be a big deal, all of your desire to have approval and honor and respect from people all around you, I'm gonna invite you to lay that down because I'm better than that and I want you to come after me. And to come after me, you're gonna have to deny that stuff. And not only that, you know what you're gonna need? You're gonna need to carry a cross just like me. Take up a cross, and it was not just a metaphor. He was inviting us, he was inviting you and me and that crowd to take up a cross, an instrument of shame and death and suffering, to take that thing up, pick it all up, and lay your rebellion down and follow him into death. I mean, if you remind yourself where you were in the crowd watching all these miracles, it's like, whoa, who is this guy? I want to be a part of this. This is amazing. And then he says this. Deny yourself. Take up a cross. Take up your suffering and your death and follow me. And I think the price is high. That's a big price to follow a man that I've just seen for a little bit of time here. The invitation is like fully frightening. But powerful and glorious. I mean, what's, what is my life right now anyways? You know, I'm, I'm straining and stretching for all those things I mentioned, comfort and the American dream, the sparkles and glitters of this world. I'm, I'm stretching for all that, but I just leave empty over and over. What is my life right now? Why don't I just do this and follow after him? 
He's offering a, literally a new way to be human, which is what my heart longs for. It's not necessarily what my brain wants or how I want to come off and how people see me. But as far as what my heart longs for and what my soul longs for, a new way to be human, yeah, I'll, I'll take up a cross, I'll deny myself. It's frightening and it's glorious. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. And I actually really love that song. And his song actually feels better to me than what Dietrich Bonhoeffer is saying. I want to do it my way. I want to get the things that I want. I want to have the respect of people. I want the American dream. I want to work for the rest of my life, but eventually I want to quit worrying about money and to pause and stop and be like, come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's really what my soul longs for. There's a phrase uh, that I've read in several stories and the phrase is burn your ships. And it comes out in several stories. I think it kind of roots itself in the 1500s but it's basically fatigued soldiers getting their boats to a shore, exhausted and weary. They see the battle in front of them. They start looking at the battle and their pending death. They look back at their ships and they're like, maybe it's better if we get back in the ship and we take off back home. It'll be exhausting, but we'll be alive. And somewhere in the distance, a voice says, burn your ships. And their leaders calling them to like, take that option off the table, move forward. And that's Jesus called us. He says, come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, burn your ships. It opposes our whole vision of the world, the whole American dream, but it offers us something far more beautiful. He says, follow me into death. But it's the kind of death that brings life. It's a new way to be human. Aren't you tired anyways? Aren't you tired of all the striving anyways? Aren't you tired of going after things that disappear? It's like grabbing bubbles. And then he shows us how to get that life by losing our life. And point two is just how to lose your life. Verse 35 says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. There's two ways to lose your life. One saves it and one wastes it. The self-saving life looks a lot like how we are sometimes. It's a me-oriented life. It's a self-help kind of life. It's driven by love for the world and the world's gains. The motivation there is really important. Because sometimes things look different on the outside. But this kind of self-saving is driven by love for the world and its gains. A few ways it can look like is when I hide my flaws so that I can prove or gain acceptance or love. That's a me-oriented life. When I trust in my own human ability or my own ambition to gain wealth, that's a me-oriented life driven by love for the world. 
When I demand that the world revolves around me so that I can be seen as great, that's a me-oriented life driven by a love for the world. When I protect myself so that I look like I have no needs at all, that's a me-oriented life driven by a love for the world and a need to succeed and a desire to be respected and honored. And that life, it turns itself inside and it becomes a waste and it's lost. And that's one of the descriptions that Jesus is giving. There's two ways to lose your life. One is for you to try to save it by loving the world and pursuing it with ambition. And one of the other ways is a self-losing life, the God-centered life. Now hear the motivation here, it's driven by a love for Jesus and the gospel. He says it himself, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. A God-centered life, a life lost, driven by love for Jesus and the gospel. And here's what we get from a self-losing life. Deep communion in the center of our being, in the depth of our being with God, when we lose our lives because of Jesus and our love for the gospel. A communion in the depths of our being. It's a life that offers itself, ready to give, ready to lose. And what an amazing way to live, as opposed to how much can I keep? How much can I get? It's a life that becomes open, cracked open. I'm ready to lose. I'm ready to give. You name it, God, I'll lay it down. It's a self-losing, driven by a love for Jesus, so that you find more of who you were created to be. It's not a loss of self where you become just an empty shell. It's the kind of losing of a life where you become even more than you thought because your identity is lost in Jesus. A self-losing, a God-centered life is so rooted deeply in God's supply and God's promises that you no longer are grasping and trying to get things that you want, things that you think you need, thinking this is the best way for my life to go because it's so rooted in the supply of God and the abundance of his house and his ways that you find yourself in no lack. This kind of life, this kind of God-centered life that's driven by a love for Jesus and his gospel is open-hearted, it's unhidden. It makes it easy to bring our confession on Sunday mornings or our confession to our friends at community group because we have an open heart, an open life. I'm not trying to hide. I know I'm messy, and so let me in on that, and then walk with me out of it to Jesus. This is the kind of life that turns itself outward. It roots itself in a more beautiful story, in a more beautiful man, Jesus, and gives itself away. It doesn't try to hang on and keep. It gives itself away. The God-centered, cross-bearing life births all new desires for Jesus. The old desires fade and new come. And that's one of the main things I remember when I was 17 and God saved me. I prayed some prayer. I was tired of my life and I was like, Jesus, you gotta show me who you are. Show me that you're God. And I remember driving down the road like a couple weeks later and I had, I remembered different desires. I hadn't even been to church yet. I just remember different desires. Something was shifting inside of me. 
And that life where you're willing to lay yourself down and follow Jesus, desires change. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That cross-centered life, a life of denial, becomes so full and abundant. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you'll find eternal life. Keep nothing back. And that's the call, is keep nothing back. I think for me over the years, I keep trying to like, okay, I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna take up my cross, I'm gonna deny myself, and also I'm gonna add these things in, these things in. And that call that needs to reverberate in our chest every day is lay your life down, lay your life down. Because we were made for God. We were made by God, for God. And so our soul is most full, our soul is at its best when it's lost in Jesus. Our third point, we're made by God for God. Verse 36 and 37, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? The Hebrew word for soul is nephesh. It appears hundreds of times in the Old Testament. And a soul, in brief, is a living, breathing, physical being We don't just have a soul, we are a soul, our entire being. Listen to what's involved, our life, our emotions, our physical existence, our capabilities, our limitations, our intellect, our talents, all that we have. Why would we give up all of that to the world that did not make us? Why would we not yield all of that to the God that made us, made by God, for God. He knows the soul is precious and eternal. It's our life. It's our life right now. It's all we have to offer. And so Jesus pleads, he pleads to us, let let your souls be mine because in me there is so much renovation, so much life. Don't offer it to the world. The world's full of corruption and brokenness and it will take all the things that I've given you, all the gifts, and it'll tear it to pieces. We are made by God and for God, and we are most fully alive in him. Jesus, take it all. Take all that we have, our intellect, our abilities, even our limitations, our physical existence. God, you can have it all. A beautiful hymn, The Wondrous Cross by Isaac Watts, this final verse says, were the whole realm of nature mine, if I owned all of nature, it would be a present far too small because your love is so amazing and so divine. It demands my soul and my life and my all. The love and life of Jesus, presence of Jesus, so massive, so big, so unending. It demands all of us, all of our soul. It demands that we follow bravely, that when he says, come to me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, 
Don't give your soul over to the world. Give it over to me. And then once you have, follow me bravely. Identify with me. Intertwine your life with me. My soul, my life, my all, the call to confess Jesus as Lord, to follow him bravely and identify with Jesus is sure and steady. We can't be ashamed or embarrassed of Jesus for fear of looking foolish or ancient or uncool. This is not a one foot in, one foot out kind of religion. And this is hard because American cultural Christianity allows for this, one foot in, one foot out. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to study this passage, meditate on this passage, and I'm like, this is not a one foot in, one foot out kind of thing. But I've reached some sort of plane where I don't appear to have one foot in and one foot out, so all that's left is for me and God and my closest friends to interrogate my life to see where sin is because sometimes I'm one foot in and one foot out. Some of us are trying to get away with things that give our souls to the world, but then we try to identify ourselves with Jesus. We're not following him bravely. In fact, when the question comes to us, what do you do? Who are you? There's something kind of embarrassing for a moment. I'll have these great conversations with people I'll, I'll meet in random places. And they'll have, I'll have this conversation and we'll talk back and forth. And they're like, well, what do you, so I'm sorry, I didn't ask you anything. What, what do you do? And immediately I'm like, oh my God, I'm a pastor. <laughs> that holds so much crazy for people. I tell them I'm a pastor. We start talking, hopefully, about Jesus. Because I want to follow Jesus bravely. If my life says, I've laid down my life, I've denied myself, because I want to come after you, Jesus, because you're better than everything else. I'm picking up my cross. I'm willing to die daily, best, best I know how, best I'm empowered each, each day. I'm going to follow you. I want to identify with you. I don't want to be embarrassed just because the conversation changes. And in front of you guys, I'm a follower of Jesus, and out there, I'm kind of like spiritual. So what's your, what's your religion? I'm, I'm, I'm spiritual. I believe in God. Well, God is a lot of things right now. Followers of Jesus are very specific. I follow Jesus. I follow his ways. I call him, I call him Lord. And there's so much of our life that depending on where we are, what the conversation is, we want to kind of like go, yeah, I, I want to deny myself, take up my cross and follow him. But right now the conversation would just get a little weird. So I'm going to kind of put that to the side. And Jesus is saying, follow me, follow me bravely. Come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, lose your life, receive a new way of living. Don't give away your soul, but identify yourself with me. I'm yours, you're mine. You're a follower of Jesus. Verse 38 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus is saying, When you prefer the approval of those who are against me, you become against me. It keeps our relationship with God severed and broken. I admit, 
I am ashamed of cultural Christianity, so sometimes I feel looped into that. I don't want to be just a cultural Christian. I feel ashamed of that. I am ashamed sometimes of 2,000 years of weird church history where things have been done wrong. I am ashamed of that sometimes. I even have lots of faults in my own walk with Jesus that I have shame over. Some of them I have good reason to be shameful over. Some of them I don't have good reason to be shame, shameful over. But at the end of the day, put yourself back in the crowd and hear Jesus say, come to me. I mean, you know, church history aside, cultural Christianity aside, all of our stories are in play. I know our stories are busted up and broken, so all that's on the table too. Everything to the side for a second, and you hear the voice of Jesus say, come to me. That feels pretty compelling. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, says, come to me. I want to come. So listen, life is, life is hard. I, I know that this is a hard passage. These are some of the hardest words of Jesus. It's more fun, you know, when, when we're a part of the crowd watching his healings, watching how he loved people. And then all of a sudden he turns and he puts the fork in the road and he says, come to me, follow me. And if you're anything like me, I think there's times in my life where I'm like, my life's been too hard. I've, I've been betrayed by good friends. I've, I've had thousands of dollars stolen by one of my closest friends. I've been through uh, a difficult, painful divorce in my life. I've lost my sister to cancer. And that's just the stuff that's happened to me. You throw in the stuff that I've done. Then you throw in the, the world and its craziness that's going on. But listen to the voice that pierces through all of that and includes all of it. Jesus says, come to me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And when I stop and I get back to that place, when I quit going, cultural Christianity, my screw-ups, the church's screw-ups, blah, 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 and I go, Jesus, I want to see your face and I want to hear your words. And he says, come to me. Lay your, lay your life down and follow me. Then I am enlivened. Philippians 3, 8 through 11. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain. Did you get Jesus? That's what you get. And you get to be found in him, not having some righteousness that you got from the law or good things that you did, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Listen, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Hey, if you're struggling today, something's painful, something's hard, I have been there too. And I want you to hear the myriads of people that are looking on Jesus right now, all the saints that have gone before us, all of creation, martyrs, and they cry out from the scriptures and they cry out from heaven and they look at on Jesus and they're saying, it's, it's worth it. We're looking at him and it's worth it. Would you keep going?
No matter what is going on, would you keep going? He's better than everything else. He's better than the American dream. He's better than all this world has to offer, and it has some cool things to offer, and Jesus is way better. And we're here, and we made it to the end, and we're applauding you, saying keep racing, keep going. Chapter nine, verse one. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there's some standing here in this crowd who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Jesus is closing up this moment with a big, bold statement. And he's saying, my kingdom is breaking in. God's power and his rule and his reign are coming. I'm gonna be crucified, I'm gonna be resurrected and forgiveness of sins is gonna flood the earth. And I'm inviting you to come to me so you can experience all that forgiveness, all the beauty for ashes, all the hope that you could ever want, all the healing that you'll ever want. That's his invitation to us. When he says, come to me, he's not some angry man saying, come to me, pick up your cross, stop doing cool stuff, come to me, follow me. He's saying, come to me, because I have fullness of life. And you might be paying the price of death and suffering, but I'm worth it. I'm better. Let's stand up together.